Hey, everyone. Welcome to Spin Radio, digital marketing insights brought to you by SpinWeb. We are on the web at spinweb.net. I'm Michael Reynolds. And I'm Allison Gibbs. Welcome, welcome. I think we were off last week, weren't we? We were. Okay. It was Memorial Day weekend. Oh, yeah, because you were at the track. And I went to the track. We're located in Indianapolis. So (laughs) I, you know, did the... Annual pilgrimage to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. <laughs> and you did yoga on the track. I did. Yes, I did do yoga on so the track. So if you follow Allison on Instagram, which is what? Are you still A. Ackman on I Instagram? I am still A. Ackman on Instagram. A-A-C-K-M-A-N-N. So I saw your yoga pose there, and you actually won the contest, didn't you? I did, yeah. What, was, what did you win? Uh, a $50 gift card oh, right, to right. Invoke Yoga Studio. There you go. So you can do more yoga. I can do more yoga, All yeah. All right. So that's a thing, apparently, doing yoga on the track at the 500. So... I assume you had a good time. I had a fantastic time. And you Thank met you. Kelly Clarkson? I did meet Kelly Clarkson. Or you made eye contact with no, Kelly Clarkson or we something? Had, we had a 10-second conversation where she was walking in. Oh, on, that's legit. Yeah, yeah. We, she walked. She was walking in to the media center at the Speedway uh, on race day, and I happened to be standing there, and I said, welcome to Indianapolis, and she said, great to be here. Oh, that's it was legit. awesome. Yeah. yeah, and I met Miss America too. So it was just, everything was coming up, Allison. That well, day. I'm glad you had a great time. I had glad a great to, race glad today. it was a success yeah. for you. And how about you? I mean, you had a birthday yesterday. I did. Yesterday was Happy my birthday. birthday. Thank you. Thank you. And you had some alone time, right? I did. I, I took myself to Flick's Brewhouse and saw the new Han Solo movie. Nathan thinks it's hilarious that I went to see Solo. What did I Solo. say? The other day, <laughs> when he when Michael was making that reservation at Flick's, he, I, I said, ah, you're going to see Solo. Solo. How cute. And it was glorious. I got my own pizza. I got a milkshake. And you were by yourself. I was by myself watching. It was just it was oh, glorious. I love yeah. I love doing things. There's no by one myself. talking to me for yes. two hours. It was Isn't amazing. It so awesome. <laughs> I keep trying to pressure Michael into doing that more often because I think it's good for the soul for everybody to have some alone time. So I think it is a new birthday tradition for me. So it's awesome. Yeah. So we have a great show. We have a couple things uh, topic wise on deck for today. So we are going to follow up on GDPR. Uh, GD- we had a discussion on this, I think it was two or three weeks ago on what GDPR is. And now that uh, GDPR has been enacted as of May 25th, right? Yes. Okay. So uh, we're seeing a lot of stuff happening. One of one of the things you may have noticed is you're probably getting a gazillion emails from all these software companies you forgot you signed up for, or all these basically any site where you put information in. They're sending you emails saying, "Here's our new privacy policy." Blah blah blah. And it's like we get inundated with all these emails. I've gotten like I think fifty so far from all these sites. So that is probably the most noticeable trend in GDPR. But we have a couple updates and follow ups from uh, our last discussion. So it's more of a quick kind of. Uh, like I said, touch on a couple things here. So one follow-up is we have a listener, which, by the way, thank you for being a listener. Uh, we don't know your name. This person did not leave a name or contact information, but they they live chatted us through our website. So we have a live chat on our website. And uh, this person uh, said they were an attorney. Uh, actually, they said they were a privacy attorney for a large company in Silicon Valley. And they said, uh, you know, they're familiar with the regulations. And they told us we were wrong, which we're wrong. We're happy to admit it. Like, I'm, I'm fine being wrong. I'm like, hey, dude, we're wrong. And if that's the case, then okay. But we're not sure about this. And want to ask for some clarification. So this person said, I'm listening to episode 144 about GDPR. And you've got something pretty huge wrong. Uh, it's not EU citizens. It's for anyone that's in the EU. So this person is claiming that uh, GDPR applies to or the, the intended audience of GDPR is anyone who is located in the EU, not just EU citizens. So the example here she gave was, so you can be a U.S. citizen vacationing in the EU and the GDPR applies. Now, 
Allison did some Googling here, two minutes of Googling. Of and course. <laughs> well, I found, I found and came con- upon conflicting information. Would I you want to share found, that? So I'm looking, so I have two different pieces of information here. Okay. Um, so the, it, on the, um, basically like the, the website that is GDPR, I'm seeing things that say, um, so the regulation, uh, that, it basically regulates the processing by an individual company or an organization of personal da- data relating to individuals in the EU. And so what I'm seeing is that that term has been open to interpretation. So the, some people are saying that it is, that that says individuals in the EU, that that directly means that it's an, an EU citizen. Um, I think what this individual that e- emailed us uh, is trying to, to say is that that leave that using that phrase leaves it open to interpretation. And so basically let's, we're, if we're on vacation in Europe, um, we apply to that. But you found a, another source saying it was EU citizens though, correct? I did. Yeah. So I'm seeing, uh, the other one basically says, and this was EU GDPR.org, uh, which they do. So I want to be very clear that they say that they are not a, uh, this is, not to be used as a an official government resource, so I want to respect. So that. there's that. Yes, <laughs> um, they said. Hang on, let me find the exact quote here to get the uh, replace. So the EU General Data Protection Regulation replaces the Data Protection Directive 9546 EC and was designed to harmonize data privacy laws across Europe to protect and empower all EU citizens' data privacy and to reshape the way organizations across the region approach data privacy. So from what I can tell and from what I have, you know, from my, you know, 10 minutes of research that I've done, and if you are a legal entity, they're basically treating it as individuals, in, within the EU to protect mm. everybody, which okay. I think that's probably safe, honestly. I mean, if you're putting this stuff in place anyways, like, just I was going to fo- say, it doesn't really matter. Just follow it. Yeah. yeah just follow I mean, it. I, I appreciate the nuances of like what ifs and the details here, but really, for the most part, it doesn't matter. You should implement uh, the practices that follow GDPR anyway, and it doesn't matter yeah, if ma- they're EU citizens or not, because if you have a website, anyone in the world, in theory, can put information into it. Yeah, the majority of, of non-legal resources that I have seen, it basically says EU citizens. Okay, Yeah. gotcha. So first of all, I want to thank our listener who obviously listens to our podcast and gave us this information via live chat. So um, again, sounds like it's a little open to interpretation, but being on the safe side, I would agree... Um, you know, people in the EU seems to be the the safer way to lean. And bottom line, it doesn't really matter because if you've got the practices, you should follow yes. the yeah you should follow the the guidelines anyway to be safe no you matter got what it in place then yeah. you're covered. So yeah. thank you. And by the way, I'd love to hear who this was. So if you if you feel comfortable, we'll keep your information confidential. But just send us a note <laughs> at uh, radioespinweb.net, uh, and we'd love to thank you for that and if you don't that's okay too we're thanking you on the air so thank you for that information. also they called us out because you remember at the start of that episode when you were like allison please describe gdpr and i was reading like a definition from a hubspot article which yeah. i went back to look at that hubspot article and it still says general data privacy regulation uh it is in fact general data protection <laughs> regulation so y'all there you go and this person also wished us a happy gdpr eve the, the message is on may 24th so yeah. we appreciate that so anyway yes. So another follow-up on GDPR that I wanted to mention was uh, I've been in some, I wouldn't say heated discussions, but some lively discussions in some groups uh, where people are asking about GDPR. And one question was, 
hey, I'm trying to convince my boss to send an email out to ask our subscribers to re-opt in, and he doesn't want to do it. And how can I convince him? And the follow-up comments on posts like this range from, he needs to get over it and just do and blah, blah, to you don't have to do that because it's unnecessary to, you know, stuff in between. And it appears, I've got a couple sources that lead me to believe that these emails are unnecessary. First, when I was reading the actual GDPR documentation, it says you don't have to repaper your existing contacts. And repapering means reconsent. And this article from The Guardian uh, is titled, Most GDPR Emails Unnecessary and Some Illegal, Say Experts. And it reiterates that. It says that most companies acting on poor legal advice uh, and fear of fines are uh, basically kind of overdoing it by asking their current customers to renew their consent for marketing communication and data processing. And uh, they go on to say that many of these, most of these, so many of these requests would be needless paperwork and some are actually illegal. And uh, businesses are not required to automatically repaper or refresh all existing contacts for consent. So, I've seen a couple sources that pretty clearly say, including the, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, you don't have to re-opt in your existing list if they were there prior to May 25th. So and I want to share that. I also don't think unless you have changed your, how you're, how you're processing the data or you've made changes to your systems or you're changing how you're using the data from a communication perspective, you don't have to, to update anybody that, unless you've changed it after May 25th. Yeah. Um, now, the only thing that I could see would be, uh, so I obviously received a lot of those emails. Uh, um, the only thing I could see where maybe somebody made the, the choice to do it anyways was just from maybe a marketing perspective and a transparency perspective to say, yeah, maybe. you know, here are some changes that we've made. Um, obviously, we talk about HubSpot a lot. We got a lot of emails from HubSpot about the things that they were doing and and the changes and the enhancements that they were making. So um, I think if you're using that information as almost like a resource or a tool, then great. Um, not everybody's going to read it because it's often like super boring for some people. I hate to break it And we're also you. tired of getting those emails by now. I mean, I have not read all of them i'm not gonna lie um but the uh i don't from my it's my understanding that you do not have to um send out the emails notifying anybody of any changes or that you've changed your um that you changed your privacy policy unless you have done it after may 25th yeah the the author states going on in other words if the business had consent to communicate with you before gdpr that consent probably carries over and even if it doesn't carry over, there are five other reasons a company can cite for continuing to process data. And what's more, if the business really does lack the necessary consent to communicate with you, it probably lacks the consent even to email you to ask to give that consent. <laughs> so if you're following good practices, like, yeah, you're okay. And, and you said HubSpot, HubSpot does make it pretty easy, right? We, yeah. Um, they have some nice tools that made it uh, pretty pretty smooth. Shout out to HubSpot. Yeah. So so HubSpot, uh, within the last, I don't know how many days, 90 days, maybe, maybe it was longer than that. I'm just paying attention to it in the last 90 days. Um, They have added a lot of components to the software that have made it super easy to implement GDPR. So there is a toggle that you have to apply to your website. A GDPR um, button. A GDPR button, if you will. (laughs) Um, Everyone's looking for a button. And you have to go through and you have to set up some, you know, some security language and some privacy language and 
If you don't have a privacy policy on your website, now's a good time to do so. Please consult your legal counsel in regards to that. Um, so they basically there are components to the forms that you can now add that basically give you the option. Uh, it, it provides some legal text in there, or I, I technically it's not legal text, but it provides text in there to to um, say you know what you're going to do with the um, contact information that they're submitting there. Um, it adds it automatically to the forms and it makes it super easy for you. And the, the, the content they have, um, uh, kind of boilerplate content in there for you, but you can make adjustments to it. You can make adjustments to the boilerplate content and then also on a perform basis. So that's awesome. And then they also have a little pop-up for you as well to let users know that you are using cookies in order to track their information, um, and you can link to your privacy policy from there. And I think it was super easy for me to implement everything. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So thanks, HubSpot, for thanks, making HubSpot. it easy. Appreciate it. All right. So next on our list, a uh, brief discussion, which is non-GDPR. We're moving to something else on SEO, which everyone's favorite topic these days seems to be SEO, which is search engine optimization for those who aren't up on the acronyms. Uh, and this is a, a quick discussion. We uh, HubSpot published an article on how your blog needs to evolve in the age of AI-powered search, AI being artificial intelligence. And I would say this goes beyond just your blog. It goes to your whole website and how you create content in general. And so the premise here is the way people search is changing because of artificial intelligence and the way that not just Google on you know on your computer, but things like Amazon Echoes and Google Home and voice-powered search and Siri, uh, the way that we are searching is changing because the way that search engines have adapted means they're getting better and better at thinking like humans actually talk and, and ask questions. So some of the things to look out for, uh, first of all, voice search is on the rise. So a lot of people are getting Amazon Echoes, they're using Siri, Google Assistant, a lot of these devices are understanding what you say, although I'll say Amazon Alexa is probably the, the worst. They never, they never really understands what I say. Well, <laughs> you can search you for things. and using that wrong because mine is awesome. Really? Yes. Maybe you I need to train mine. me on how to use it. it. Well, I did go through like the whole process where she like knows my voice. Well, it's not the voice. It's, it's like when you ask Alexa to do something or to search for something, it never actually finds what you oh, want. Oh, no. She's... Really? She's, See, Siri works well for me, but Alexa doesn't. Anyway. I call, I call her my name. I'll just say Alexa over and over so people's... Amazon Echoes light up. Alexa. Um, well, it shouldn't. <laughs> did your ours light up just now? <laughs> it, it, I was going to say it'll light up ours, but it shouldn't on mine because I don't think it'll recognize the voice. But so, so a lot of what's going into this is not just the actual transaction of the search, but just the history and the, per, the, the entire profile of the people that are searching. You know, for example, did you visit a certain website in the last, you know, X number of days? Google system will know that and will seek data on whether that visit was positive for you. And if it looks to have been a good fit, the AI may decide to push an answer from the same website higher in the stack uh, to replicate the positive experience for others. And so all these data points are being taken into consideration more and more. And it's really good for consumers because it's serving the user better. People like to get results, obviously, that help them. And the more we get the results we want, uh, the more the user experience is, is a positive one. So how do we as companies adapt to this and make sure that we're following the trends that align our content with the right search context for people searching, which are ideally our potential customers? So um, some points on how to prepare. Uh, you want to kind of run through these, Allison? So, yeah, sure. So first one is uh, make sure your content is built the right way. So what does that mean? 
seems very uh, general on the surface, but... Uh, yeah, so obviously the information needs to be accurate. Um, that seems like a no-brainer, It right? seems like a no-brainer, but sometimes, you know, you just and factual. know. And factual, yes. Uh, but more importantly, it needs to be conversational. So it needs to not That's what be, most people miss. I 100% is it's what most people miss. Um, it needs to be something that it seem it, that it comes across as an as a resource, and that it is um, almost like a person is writing it versus you know this kind of sterile piece. Now there are plenty of blogs out there that have you know a wonderful presence in the space and are probably getting a lot of search traffic that don't necessarily come across as conversational. But as you are starting to kind of change um, how you are approaching your blog topics and how you're approaching your content making it more personable and more conversational is going to be better from a search perspective and from just a general usability perspective. So along with that goes the next point, which is use long tail conversational phrases for content keywords. Yeah. So keyword is, research is dead, right? Well, I love that they say keyword research isn't dead because like there was a whole like hot minute there where HubSpot was saying like, well, they changed their software to remove the keyword research tool. And they were like, it's all about topics. And Just like keywords. email is dead, right? Uh, like keywords, you know, you don't focus on keywords. Email is topics. dead. Keyword and research saying, is dead. How are you going to find the topics, people? <laughs> okay. I'll get off my soapbox on that one. So your keyword research is not dead. So you want to find topics that are pe- that people are searching for. So you need that. Um, but you need to incorporate the conversational phrases within your content in order for the um, basically the AI to recognize and associate the content with the questions people are asking. So AI, we're still in that phase of what I would consider to be um, machine learning. Um, I think we're going to be in that phase for a long time. Uh, where they're still, you know, a, a, they're still, you know, matching up the right things, um, the right pieces of content with the right questions. And Google's even, uh, you know, released, they, they sent out some data a couple days ago that, you know, in the past two years that mobile searches for do I need for things that start with do I need have grown over 65%. Hmm. Um, so like how much do I need to retire and what do I need to buy at Target and things like that. Um, mobile searches for should I have also grown for uh, grown over 65%. And so what we're seeing here, um, oh, can I, can I, ha- that, that's grown over 85%. Hmm. So in previous years um we've it was really just those keyword phrases that people would type into google and now people are starting to type in questions and they're well i shouldn't say starting people are more likely to have a conversation with google whether they're typing it in or whether they're speaking uh through a google home service or an alexa or something like that um how we are searching for things is habitually changing and that's if we focus on those conversational components to our um, to our blogging, then we can add that in there and that will trigger some of those uh, AI and some of the voice searches to uh, tie it all together. You know, I think that's a skill. I've been thinking about that. You always mm-hmm. tell me, you always joke that I'm really good at titles, right? You're always oh, like, you're, the best at you're titles. writing an article and you're like, hey, can you do a title for me? And I'm like, whatever. But I, <laughs> I, I think it's because I, I think we've been pushing this for so long and we've been trying to get people to understand that the the context of how it's positioned from a Q and a standpoint or a title standpoint makes a big difference. And that we're seeing that's, that's making a difference here. You know, the, the AI is catching up to that. And so, um, you know, some people will write an article and the title will just be like, it'll just be like, um, you know, the, the topic will just be kind of like dropped in as a title. 
But if you make the title an answer to a question or, you know, your your example was, how much do I need to retire? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's a great title. How much do I need to retire? Or do I have enough to retire or something like that? You're asking the question. Can um, I retire in the next five years? Can like I retire in the next five these years? Are, these are but, all personal conversations that you're basically having with the internet. Yeah, but some people will title the article Retirement Planning 101 or something, something really kind of bland and non-conversational. It's very, like, it's very flat. And so... Um, I kind of like the depth that conversational titles and conversational content has. And so that's a skill. It's a skill to be able to understand how to write in such a way that it feels conversational. And it goes beyond just the title. So if we're talking about pillar content as well, so that using your example, retirement planning 101, that could still technically be your title. But if you have those questions within the content on that page, that could satisfy some of those requirements from an algorithm perspective of answering the questions. But instead of saying, you know, how, uh, you know, how to, how to plan for retirement, um, maybe you say, uh, you know, how, uh, what's my, what's my retirement plan or what's my, uh, you know, what's my 401k or, you know, what, whatever language you want to yeah. use in there. But I like it. Okay. Interesting. So uh, anything else you would add? It was a good, uh, good short um, kind of synopsis. But uh, I think if we if we work on our content and make it more obviously factual accurate is important, but the conversational part is the real key here. So anything you would add? Well, the last one that they have in this article um, is answer lots of questions. Which yes, we just talked about the data points about people asking questions, um, but even the uncommon ones. And so I agree with this because I think that the more in depth your content is, the better. Um, and it also, you just never know when somebody is going to ask that question. Um, it could be a handful of people and they come directly to your site and to your content. Um, that, you know, obviously uh, helps from a user perspective and a brand perspective and all of that kind of works together. So, Well, it goes with knowing your audience too. So much of the does, time an organization yeah. will produce content that they want to produce that they think is what they feel is best. But if you know your audience and know how they talk, what questions they're asking, what language they use, that's going to get you found. So keep that in mind. Think, think like your audience. It's hard to do sometimes. It is. indeed. <laughs> all going, right. I'm just going through all of the client interactions this past week and, and <laughs> know your audience. Just <laughs> All right. I'm going to send this podcast out to you guys. <laughs> All right. So, well, thank you for that. Anything you would add, Nathan? I never call Nathan. So I'm just going to like see what he's, see what's going uh, he's, on his mind there. <laughs> you got it? Uh, we got it. Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We are good for today then. Thanks, Nathan, for, jo- for running the board for us. I'll go ahead and thank him since I, I mentioned him there. And we appreciate you being a listener. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on the web at spinweb.net. Uh, the landing uh, section for this podcast is spinweb.net slash radio. You can send us questions or comments at radio at spinweb.net. Uh, we would love to hear your feedback, and uh, we will probably see you next week. Thanks, everybody. I said probably because I'm not sure. I think we're on. <laughs> <laughs> we're really good at this. 